This is the Dual Poetry Podcast. Please do not adjust your sets. We are brought to you by the Poetry Translation Centre via RSS feed and your local podcast software. The Dual Poetry Podcast brings you two poems in two languages once every two weeks. I am your host, Vern Roach Farley, Communications Program Manager at the PTC and a person attempting to learn two European languages on a popular name brand language acquisition app. On today's episode, we are travelling again to Mexico to spend some time with the work of Carlo Braccio, winner of the Aquas Calientes National Poetry Prize in 1981 and a Guggenheim Fellowship in the year 2000. The PTC first published Braccio's work in 2008 when she was part of our Mexican Poets Tour along with Victor Turan and David Huerta. Her work was translated by Tom Bull with the poet Catherine Pierpoint. Back in 2008, Tom Bull penned a wonderful essay for the PTC about these Mexican poets, adding context by going back to 1520 when Hernán Cortés wrote to Charles V of Spain. On the brink of the colonial invasion that would collapse the Aztec civilization and forever change this continent, Cortés is full of misgivings and awe. He says, I am fully aware that the account will appear so wonderful as to be deemed scarcely worth of credit. Since even we, who have seen these things with our own eyes, are yet so amazed as to be unable to comprehend their reality. Ball then links this with the work of the Mexican poets he was translating for the PTC, saying, Here was the first tentative encounters of the Spanish language with Mexico. 500 years on, Cortez's question still resonates. What words can make sense of this world? It is a question for writers of Spanish, an alien language imported from distant Europe, but it is also a question for indigenous writers, for voices displaced by the Spanish invasion and now surrounded by an increasingly global reality. Ball continues. As they grew up in the 1960s, Coro Braccio and David Huerta were faced with the pressing political realities. The Cuban Revolution of 1959 offered hope that nations across Latin America would free themselves of North American influence and achieve a more equitable distribution of resources. Enthusiasm for the revolution merged with the more general spirit of optimism and rebellion that culminated with the global student demonstrations of 1968. Yet, on the 2nd of October, as Mexico City prepared to host the Olympic Games, students who had gathered in the Plaza de las Tres Culturas were met by the military who opened fire, resulting in a bloodbath. Octavio Paz, whose poetry in movement from 1966 had drawn the authoritative map of recent Mexican poetry, resigned his diplomatic post in protest at the massacre. Less considerately, he also wrote about the events as the resurgence of Aztec bloodletting in a ritual of expiation. The generation who had witnessed the event were not impressed with the casual inflation of their suffering to such a symbolic plane. Paz had consistently called for the poet to address history. His statement suggested to young poets that they would have to turn away from facile historical narratives to make sense of their experience. Outside Mexico, the beacon held by the Cuban Revolution would also splutter as the decade turned. In 1971, the poet Herberto Padilla was arrested and publicly humiliated at a show trial as a supposed counter-revolutionary. Another historical narrative had been found wanting. Both Huerta and Bracho turned instead to one of the poets who had been ostracised by Castro's government for his homosexuality, José Lazama Lima. A genial figure, Lazama was much taken to cigars and elaborate verbal flights of the imagination. The cigars apart, 
He was the antithesis of Fidel Castro, whose rigid certainties and dry prescriptions on the new man of the revolution offered thin gruel for the poet. Lazama proposed a poetry that was improvised, metaphorical, baroque. Here was a language that Latin Americans had taken from the Spain of Cortes and made their own, appropriating and exaggerating it as a fantastical art of the counter-conquest. So, with 500 years of context in hand, we can approach Pracho's work. Her early poems marry verbal luxuriance with a keen intelligence and awareness of artistic process. Yet, that artistic consciousness does not lose sight of the world. Her poems have been seen as part of the neo-baroque trend in Latin American literature, and in 1996 her work was included in the definitive anthology of that movement. Neo-baroque writing can be seen as the foundational literary movement of Latin America, with writers taking on the ornate literary and artistic styles of a transplanted European Baroque as a way of disrupting a more classical, orderly form of writing. Today's poems are Of Their Eyes Adorned With Crystal Sands, which sounds neo-baroque to my ears at least, and Touches Its Depths and Is Stirred Up, a title that I think doubles as a good working definition of poetry itself. Two poems by Carlo Braccio. Enjoy. Of their eyes, adorned with crystal sands. From the outbreath of these fish made of marble, from the silken stroke of their slim sides, their eyes touched with crystal sands, the quiet of the temples and gardens, in their acanthus shade, in the stones they touch and blend with, they have opened their beds, have made their own wet ways under the almond trees' warm leaves. They tell of the touch of this light, of that quiet interplay, sliding at the edge of things, at the slow edge of sunsets, from their freezing lips. Eyes of precious stone. From the fine spray they throw off, and fragrances, in the halls, the candlelight, the amaranth's unfading flower. Onto the altar, light as a touch, when it's time to sow the seeds. From the temple, lovely smells of stooked up corn, fish scales, stags and does. They tell of what is given back in reflection. Night times, their delicate, marble, stony silence, with their precious crazings, clean contours, they have flooded out the light at the shoreline in the sands. Upon that sheer image, upon the harvest gifts from the meadows. De sus ojos ornados de arenas vitrias. Desde la exhalación de estos peces de mármol, desde la suavidad sedosa de sus cantos, de sus ojos ornados de arenas vítreas, la quietud de los templos y los jardines. En sus sombras de acanto, en las piedras que tocan y reblandecen, han abierto sus lechos, han fundado sus cauces bajo las hojas tibias de los almendros. Dicen del tacto de sus destellos, de los juegos tranquilos que deslizan al borde, a la orilla lenta de los ocasos, de sus labios de hielo, ojos de piedras finas, 
de la espuma que arrojan, del aroma que vierten, en los atrios las velas, los amarantos, sobre el ara levísima de las siembras. Desde el templo, el perfume de las espigas, las escamas, los ciervos, dicen de sus reflejos. En las noches, el mármol frágil de su silencio, el preciado tatuaje, los trazos limpios, han ahogado la luz a la orilla, en la arena, sobre la imagen tersa, sobre la ofrenda inmóvil de las praderas. Touches its depths and is stirred up. A wave of solid light, its fire intact. A current, a soft breeze that arouses everything, that scorches and unravels everything, that refines everything back to its pure lines. A high tide, waterfall, that the sun throws down, its stars breaking free, its joyfulness, sustained falling, its root balls of crystals formed by fire, opening furrows, opening wakes, wading across, sinking down. Depth opens on the surface. All the ocean and the calm of soothing itself, all that burning thickness of sand, of plough-turned land, of salt, touches its depths and is stirred up. Toca su fondo y se remueve. Una ola de luz densa, su fuego intacto. Una corriente, un viento suave que todo incita, que todo abraza y desata, que todo ascendra a sus líneas íntimas. Un pleamar la cascada que abisma el sol su constelado desprenderse, su gozoso sostenido caer, su ígnea raigambre de cristales, abriendo surcos, abriendo estelas, vadeando, hundiéndose. La hondura se abre en la superficie. Todo el océano y la calma en que se acuna todo ese ardiente espesor de arena, de barbecho, de sal, toca su fondo y se remueve. That was Catherine Pierpoint reading the English translations and Coral Bracho reading her own Spanish language originals. Reflecting on the project, Pierpoint said, There are times when you ask yourself whether you're just translating the content of the poem and not the value. This three-way process of working in a team has been particularly rewarding. Ultimately, Pierpoint saw herself as serving Bracho's work. It's Coral's party, she said. You're just there as a channel. Back in 2008, we published a chapbook of Bracho's poems with translations by Tom Ball and Catherine Pierpoint. And there are still a few copies available from the PTC website. So head over to poetrytranslation.org shop and start filling up your cart. You might even be tempted by some of our more recent books, like the 2020 Sarah Maguire Prize Anthology, with poems from all around the world, 
including a section dedicated to the Mexican poet Judith San Pietro. I only mention it because online shopping for poetry books is one of the best parts of living in a capitalist society and I want you to have as much fun and joy as possible. The PTC would like to thank Arts Council England and our other donors for their continued support. Today, in the VIP funder area of the podcast, we are serving classic Mexican tres leches cake made from three kinds of milk, evaporated, condensed and cream. To be included when we dole out imaginary treats in real, heartfelt gratitude, become a donor today. Your support will help the PTC continue our work with poets and translators from beyond Europe, bringing their voices to the ears of the Anglophone world. Head to poetrytranslation.org slash support us to find out how. And in today's bonus content, I recommend watching Julian Schnabel's film, Before Night Falls. The poet Jose Lazama Lima, who I mentioned before as an influence on Carl Baraccio, pops up in the film, giving it advice on the books one simply must read. Plus, there's the fun of watching Javier Bardem doing serious Cuban poet cosplay as Renato Anares. Actually, scrap that. What I really recommend, what I actually recommend, is having this week's translator, Tom Ball, describe watching the movie to you, vividly underlining the places where Schnabel's take totally misses out on the best bits of the real story. So, if you know Tom, or can recognise him by sight, there's a picture on the PTC website, corner him, and make sure to bend his ear with plenty of questions about Before Night Falls, Octavia Paz, and The Simpsons. I'm sure he won't mind. That's it for this one. Rate, review, and rave to your friends to help us build our audience. Stay safe, and we'll catch you in two weeks. That's it from us for now. Goodbye, good luck, good people.